Hello and welcome to Cup of Tea with UHB Charity, a hospital charity podcast that focuses on inspiring stories from our NHS staff and patients from across our hospitals in Birmingham. I am your host, Ella Igledon. Make sure to tune in each Friday for a new episode. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please send an email to charities at uhb.nhs.uk. I would love to hear from you. This week, I am focusing on the topic of hidden illnesses and talk to an incredible woman about her life with Fowler's syndrome. I think some of my biggest achievements that I am so proud of is that I managed to, to do a bit of travelling when I was younger, despite everything, is that I managed to, to qualify as a teacher and, you know, see through my degree. You know, that to me was so huge at the time and still is a massive achievement. The fact I've managed to work full time until now, I just, I actually, I'm really proud of that because I don't quite know how I've done that some days when I've been so sleep deprived from getting up flushing my bladder through or where I've been sat in A&E throughout the night unblocking a catheter and then because I don't want to let those kids down I've gone into school at the half past seven with two hours sleep. Eva is just 29 years old and if you looked at her you wouldn't know she was struggling in pain daily and this is exactly why we need to raise awareness and educate people about hidden illnesses. Eva chats to me about the terrifying moment she realised she couldn't wig. What I love about Eva is how she faces all of these horrendous challenges head on and carries on living her life. She's an inspiration to anyone with an illness. Eva has nothing but praise for the fantastic staff at the QE who care for her on a frequent basis. So without further ado, here is my interview with a very inspirational Aoife. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. And I think it's so important to raise awareness of hidden illnesses. There's, you know, there's not a lot that's been spoken about. There's not a lot of people that are out there that I've spoken to that are talking about it. So thank you for reaching out firstly and wanting to share your story because it's so, so important. So yeah. I'm really, really grateful for you are being so here. Welcome. It's lovely to be on the hottest day of the year. Oh, so hottest far. day of the year. No, no windows, no aircon. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna run through this. We we'll move. Yes, yes, we're gonna run through this. We're pros <laughs> now. Let's go from the start of your story. So you have a condition. Is it Fowler's syndrome? Is That's that right? Fowler's syndrome. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about life before this. Did you have kind of any symptoms? What was it like growing up? Because you got diagnosed as a teenager, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. So what was life like growing up for you before you got this diagnosis? Yeah. No. Um. I was never a sickly child. You know, I was um in really good health, thank God. Um. And then I sort of hit sort of fifteen, sixteen, and ended up with glandular fever. Um, and following that then about of shingles sort of on my groin area um, and then the shingles spread to the inner part of my bladder wall went into retention and here we are um, so life before Fowler's was great because it was never a problem we in I never had any issue with my bladder prior to that so you know going on holiday was always fine there was never a problem um, with needing the toilet or you know having to make sure there was a toilet on hand um, my body confidence was relatively good before that, really. I mean, I had, like, you know, my ups and downs with that growing up in my early teens, as we all do. Um, but I really suffered with that post-catheter fitting. 
just getting used to sort of what I now look like with a catheter, yes. especially in underwear or bikini. Um, so, you know, it had so many uh, sort of wider effects on me as a person mm-hmm. um, other than just my, my bladder organ failing, do you know? So, um, but yeah, life, life before, yeah, it was great. And it's it's mad, isn't it? You take all those little things like just sitting on the toilet and doing an ordinary wee for granted. Yeah. It's bizarre. So how did you get diagnosed? What were the sort of symptoms that you were having? And was it a fast diagnosis? Did it take you years to get diagnosed? Yeah, so... Um, as I said, I had the glandular fever at sort of 15, 16, and it was a really hot summer, much like today, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up in hospital really dehydrated with the glandular fever. It's my first ever big admission. Um, and luckily enough, I was in the hospital my mum worked at. So um, she could sort of come up and see me and on her breaks and things. So I didn't feel so alone. But I was on um, a drip just for rehydration, really. And that's when the shingles rash appeared. They thought it was a heat rash because of it being really warm. And mm. um, my mom was skeptical about that because of the pain I was getting around my pelvic area, groin area. And that night, um, I went into retention, so stopped being able to wee. Um, all the nurses came over, and I remember one of them had run, uh, took me into the bathroom and ran a tap and said, "Sit on the toilet, maybe if you hear the water, you'll wee." Yeah. And it was torturous because I was sitting there thinking, "Oh my god, I just want to wee," and it wouldn't come out. Um, we ran a hot bath and I got in there and one of the nurses sort of said, look, even if you just wee in the bath, it doesn't matter. Let's just get this wee out, you know. Still wasn't coming out. Um, I was in agony now. My bladder was really, really full and just couldn't empty at all. So I had a urethral catheter put in um, as like a temp solution. Yeah. And that was more painful than they ever thought it, it, it could or should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that was a big sign of Fowler's because Fowler's is chronic retention of your sphincter urethral muscle. So mine was sort of in the process of shutting down at that point and not working. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a big dysfunction there, but they didn't realise, obviously, at the time that this was Fowler's or um, it's such a, a rare and unknown condition. They didn't sort of um, put two and two together at that point. So yeah. they were sort of saying to me, oh, you shouldn't be in this much pain with the urethral and you should be, the pain should be easing now because we've emptied your bladder and... The pain seemed to be getting worse throughout the night at that point and a lot of pain from the rash and my mum came around um, the next morning before she started her shift and um, she took a look at the rash and she was like, Eve, I think this is shingles. So she got the infection control team in the hospital to come and swab it and things and um, by the point I was of diagnosis with shingles, I had gone past um, the sort of cut-off date for the medication that they give you for shingles. Mm. Um, so the acyclovir, which is a, a medication usually given to prevent shingles, uh, you know, the spread of it around your body, um, I'd already gone past the days to be able to have that. So my shingles had attacked the nerves around my bladder. So I had a cystoscopy the next day as an emergency in theatre. Um, and my bladder was riddled with shingles. My urethral muscle was really, really tight, so wouldn't let any urine out at all. Yeah. Um, and then they sort of understood a bit why my urethral catheter was so uncomfortable at that point. Um, but I did have a urethral for about a week. I was on quite a lot of pain meds. Um, I was in hospital for about a week then, went home to recover from the shingles. And the aftermath of shingles, no one really speaks about mm. this, but my God, the nerve pain is atrocious. And it kind of goes, because mine's in my groin area, it went all down my legs, up to my midriff. My whole body just felt like it was aching for weeks after the shingles. Um, and they said, oh, you know, once the shingles dies down, you'll wee again. So we did like a twock, like a trial without catheter. Yeah. 
where they took my urethral out in the hope that I'd wee and no wee. So I learned at that point then how to ISC. So we uh, used intermittent self-care. Um, every time I went to the toilet, I'd take mm. a little tube with me, a little pocket mirror. And even that was quite, for want of a better word, traumatic at yeah, 16. No, you know, I'd never really looked down there. Mm. And I think that that is something... Um, that you know we should be really pushing young men and women to do to know their anatomy I didn't really know my anatomy I didn't know if down there that was it was meant to look like that I didn't know if the pain was meant to be as bad when I was ISC Um, and it took about six months then after that to finally uh, the doctors in the hospital I was in to for them to sort of turn around and go actually you're not coping well with this ISC um, this method of, of emptying your bladder what is going on here? Mm. Because there, there should, you know, you should be starting to recover from these shingles and and we properly. Um, and I just, I didn't pass a drop from there on in. So we got referred to a clinic up in London, um, at UCLH, mm. and I met Professor Fowler herself. Had all my diagnostic tests done under her. She was sort of semi-retired at that time, but um, she was in in the clinic the day I was having my testing done, and I was diagnosed formally a couple of years later it took a while for the referral to go through yeah. you know for me to get up to London to see them um and then finally have all the testing done so yeah so I'd say it was probably nearly 18 when I was diagnosed with yeah. Fowler's and um at that point then I was still trying to ISC but I was fitted with a um suprapubic catheter as well to empty because my urethral muscle was so tight we just we were having real problems getting yeah. the catheters up really and what was that, you know, you were so young at 16 to be dealing with that. What was that like mentally? I can imagine you probably felt quite alone. Did you have any kind of support groups, like social media? Like, yeah, where, where were you getting kind of your support from back then? Yeah, um, my family and friends were, were amazing. Um, and I was really lucky that, you know, turning sort of those big milestones of turning 16 and turning 18, um, you know, your first girls' nights out, your first girls' holidays... All my girls were, were just fabulous. I couldn't fault them. They, they were brilliant. They're still beside me today, you know, the ones that were there from the very beginning, which is, I'm so blessed. Um, but little things like we tried to, I don't know, sort of um, use humour as a coping mechanism. Yeah, so of course. I would quite often, um, for my 18th birthday, what I asked for off everybody was a, a clutch bag to go on girls' nights out that would fit my ISC yeah, catheters yeah. in. So we'd have catheter-friendly clutch bags. We were all learning to pass our driving tests at, at, around the same time. And then all the girls would have catheters in their glove boxes in case I needed to use them when we were out. Um, you know, so we kind of just, even going on our first holiday, I remember um, 18 years old, off to, to Spain with the girls. And... Um, you know, at that point, I was really conscious because I'd had my SPC fitted of how that looked in a bikini. Um, and they, we high-rise bikinis weren't in then. It was all, like, you know, very low-cut mm-hmm. hips. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what do you even call them? Sort of low-rise? Like low-brief-type ones. Yeah, yeah, you know, the little ties on the yeah, corner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we all had those type of bikinis. But for that holiday in particular, they all bought a high-waisted bikini so that I would feel better because I wanted to cover my catheter. Friends like that are amazing, especially at a young age as well because I feel like sometimes when you are a teenager, you don't always have that understanding of what people go through. So no. that's really nice that they they were that like accommodating yeah. for you. Absolutely, really sweet. yeah. And they're my core girls. They've been beside me since. And yeah, I'm really, really blessed. And my family were wonderful too. I'm so um, lucky my mum as midwife, my aunt Shannon's a nurse. Um, so having people of, you know, medical background at home or 
you know, able, they're able to come in and out to me very, mm-hmm. very often was, was so, so useful. Um, and almost just to calm my nerves, you know, if something wasn't quite right, I think that if I didn't have mum or Sharon to bounce off of and say, oh, God, you know, this has really worried me. What, what am I going to do? Yeah. Sometimes they, they were small things and they go, no, you're fine. Don't be panicking. Whereas I think if I was on my own with that or, you know, without someone of medical knowledge, I probably would be more inclined to go and sit in A&E because I'd be worried about this symptom or, you know, the, whatever had presented itself overnight, for example, I'd be more panicked. Um, so I'm, I was very lucky to be reassured by them, really, and, yeah. and you know, guided by them on my journey. Um, there was a support group at the time on Facebook that a friend of a friend found. It mm-hmm. was called, um, I think, like, Bladder and Bowel Buddies or something. And... I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to meet others now who, as much as my family and friends are amazing, they're not going through what I'm going through. They don't know it firsthand. I'm going to meet others who I can chat to and sort of bounce things off of. Well, it was one of the worst things I ever joined because so many people on there were so negative. Now, I'm going back to 2009, really, 2008. So negative about what was going on. It wasn't all about what they could do. It was about, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do the other... And that, at that point, I thought, I'm going to change this. I'm going to set something up that gives my pain purpose and inspires others to live with their mm-hmm. condition, not to, to sort of shy away from, from life. You know, you don't just want to exist, you want to live. So we need to talk about all the things. Obviously, we have to highlight, you know, the trials and tribulations mm-hmm. of, of uh, our long-term conditions. But at that point, I remember thinking, right, that's it. I'm going to change this. I want to talk about what I can do and what I can't do. And how I'm striving to live and break boundaries, yeah, of course. you know, rather than um, let it take over my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that was sort of when the idea of Bees for Bladder, my blog, um, sort of um, came about, really. And it sort of collected dust in my mind for many a year from then. And I only set it up in lockdown a couple of years ago. But at that point, I'm thinking, no, I'm going to set up a group that, that you know, empowers, mm-hmm. empowers others. Um, so, yeah, so... You know, that was a bit of a learning experience for me, really. Definitely. And we'll go more into your social media side and podcast in a bit. Um, You mentioned about body image. So, again, being so young, what advice do you have to another young woman or guy that's going through this? What kind of worked for you to kind of adjust to living um, with an illness? Is there any tips that you have or advice that really worked for you to kind of adjust to what was happening? I think a big one um, for me was there was a real feeling of grief surrounding yeah. anything with my illness, and there still is this today for me. Mm-hmm. And I think sitting with this feeling is so, so important, and that would be one piece of advice I would give to somebody else now who's starting a journey with chronic health, because the chronic health community, the chronic health club, is a community or a club that any one of us can join at any time course, in our lives. Yeah. You don't know when this is going to strike. You know, I didn't know I'd, I'd have this forever at the age of 16 and it would alter my, my life path so mm-hmm. drastically. Um, and I think sitting with that grief is is really important and almost dealing with that emotion because it is like a bit of a death. Like, my old body had effectively died. Do you know the old way that I saw myself yeah. had gone? So I think, you know... Knowing that that emotion is valid and that you are totally within your rights to feel that emotion, processing that um, is, is huge. And I think that that really helps you to come to terms with where you're at now with your body. Um, 
it took me a long time to look in the mirror with my catheter and to actually look at the hole where the tube yeah, comes out of. of course. It's a massive change, Huge isn't it? Huge change, like, yeah. And even when I've got a day bag on and that fills, and it's that is when my invisible um, illness is more visible because you can see sort of a lump through your clothing yeah. or whatever. Even just looking at my, my body, knowing there's a bag there that's filling and, you know, stuff like that. So I think the more you can desensitise your mind and, you, you know, your eyes to looking mm-hmm. and seeing... Um, you know, keep doing that. I think you know because it will help eventually for you to become more used to to what you see. Um, I mean, I'm I'm going to have a urostomy fitted at some point, and I think for me now, my next step is a stoma and and looking at that sort of strawberry like stoma skin. Right. Yeah. And I, I I was like allergic to googling that. I couldn't even look at it because I was so scared of having that on me. Yeah. And now because I've googled it a good few times, I've met a few women with stomas. Um, I'm like, oh no, do you know what? I can do this, I can do this. And I think a lot of it is in your mind, isn't it? You know, um, you have to put yourself in a positive mindset to be able to mm-hmm. overcome. And that is so difficult. I am not like that every day. My God, I have my days where I think, I can't do this anymore, or this is really bothering yeah. me. And I think a big thing for me with was with, you know, boyfriends over the years and telling them, about what's going on and yeah because i think relationships is a whole other thing isn't it and again we'll talk about that because yeah there's so many different factors to what you're going through isn't it it's not just yeah. one thing it affects it's, it affects everything absolutely and i think that 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 sort of body image side when you're in a relationship as well yeah it is so difficult isn't it because you 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 want them to see you the way you hoped to to have been seeing yourself at that stage yeah. in your life, do you know? And I think that the more okay you are with your own body, um, the more it normalises it for your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the, the, you know, the more you're okay with how you look and get into a, a place mentally where you feel quite comfortable with how you look and almost owning it um, almost empowers you then to, to you know, speak out to, to those close to you, especially in a relationship, um, and for them to be okay with your body, mm-hmm. do you know? Because I think if you're nervous about, you know, about what it is that you're telling them, they're going to think, oh, yeah, no, this is a bit of an odd thing, actually, isn't mm-hmm. it? Whereas the more you're owning the situation and saying, I'm okay with this, yeah. and I think it's a little bit of fake it till you make it, you know? Sometimes I have to sit there and go, yeah, I'm grand with this, that's fine, I've just had a major leak on the bus, and, you know, my grey leggings are covered in wee, but you know what, it's grand. Um, I think the more I sort of tell myself it's okay, the more it kind of does become okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think this is why it's so important to get people like yourself that do have an illness, because I can imagine when you're sitting with people that have no idea and they're going, oh, you know, it'll be okay. I think we'll be fine. I think that's so frustrating for people like yourself because you're like, well, you've got no, no idea. And for people listening that might have a similar condition to you, it's probably really helpful to actually listen to the person that does understand. Yeah, with that lived experience, definitely, absolutely. And I think as well, um, with it being invisible, sometimes I go through this thing where I feel like my pain isn't validated or my symptoms aren't validated or I don't... Do you know, I'm not missing a limb or I'm not... I haven't got something hugely visible to Like, there's nothing for you to get upset about, like, yeah. just to get on with it, which is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm. so mad. But, you know, to anyone listening with something that is invisible, um, please know that, that it, your pain is so valid and what you're going through is valid. And it's a bit of that whole... Um, 
what is what's that saying? It's something like a my my broken finger doesn't make your broken arm hurt any less or whatever. You know yeah, that sort yeah. of comparison between what we what we deem as a lesser illness, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Everyone is very, um, you know. It, the words I'm looking for here it's almost like it's hard to word isn't it because you're so worried about offending yeah. someone else yeah and but it's, it's so personal to yeah. your own you know it's all it's all relative to where you're at and what you're going through isn't it you know because you're living it every mm-hmm. single day exactly and how how did you feel when you were told that you were having this forever again you're a teenager I can't even imagine having that news in your 20s let alone being a young person getting ready for that next stage in your life and stuff of your career and what you want to do how how did you feel being told that that this is something you're gonna have to live with yeah I think um I'd never quite not that I never believed them but I almost thought no not you know it'll go, it'll go at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was sort of, it took a good couple of years really for that to sink in. And um, and knowing that I would have to have constant procedures and surgeries just to live um, was huge. And I don't think it was till I was in the practice of a couple of years of that, did that really start to dawn on me and really yeah. start to sink in. I think with it being an autoimmune condition, it affects so many other parts of the body that people don't realise. Mm-hmm. Um and I think as well, you know, knowing that we were starting with sort of lesser treatments at the beginning to treat symptoms and to help me pass urine effectively. But I knew that there were bigger things to come down the line, which now where I'm at at 29, I thought I'd probably get to 39 before I'd have to make decisions mm-hmm. that I'm making now. Yeah. I thought I'd, I've had children by that stage. I thought I would have I don't know, I thought I would be 10 years further before I'd have to make huge decisions that I am now having to face. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned a little bit about having so many operations. Did yeah. you say 114? Oh, do you know, it's 116 now. And, uh, Which, mom, I'm just sat startled. It's mental. Like... <laughs> In the last 13, 14 years, yeah, 116. My mum keeps a tally of all my GAs at home on the fridge. <laughs> just because we've got to the point where it's like a borderline bit yeah. of a joke really because they're like god almighty she's going down for another general anaesthetic some of them are very quick procedures that just i do need to be knocked out for because of bladder spasm um for example with catheter changes mm-hmm. we've, we've um run into really big problems in the past with my suprapubic changes because my bladder spasms so much it it just rejects the catheter so they try and put a new catheter in and it won't go back in the hole that they took the other one yeah. out of so they're like right we've got no choice but to put you under so that your body is completely still and relaxed in order for us to fit you with a new catheter. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of them are quick general anaesthetics, they're not big surgeries. Others are really big. I've had five sacral nerve stimulators fitted, one pudendal nerve stimulator to try and kickstart the nerves in my bladder again that have all failed. I had, and a lot of these surgeries, by the way, have been up in London, so I, I, I'm assuming those listening to this with a long-term health condition will totally empathise with the fact that you have to travel all around the country maybe even move countries or or temporarily travel to another country to receive treatment that you need. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my surgeries have been in London. I had all the st- nerve stimulators fitted up there. I had my Trofanoff bladder augmentation with a neobladder up there, which was a huge operation with a big recovery. I developed a lot of problems post-surgery um, with a big hematoma blood clot that got infected. So I had to have another surgery for mm-hmm. that, you know loads and loads of operations um some big some small and coping with that I think um 
I still get those like post, uh, sorry, pre-GA nerves yeah, and post-GA worries about, oh gosh, you know, is, is this pain okay? Or mm-hmm. is that pain okay? And I know this condition inside out, back to front, upside down by now. <laughs> I'm a little pro-patient, but I still have those worries. And I think that knowing that it's okay to still have those worries, you know, yeah. because it is such an uncertain thing, your health is your wealth. Mm-hmm. And it is so uncertain, isn't it, for every one of us? And how do you kind of calm your anxiety when you are having a surgery or some sort of operation? Is there anything that works for you? Because for me, I, I don't even know. I, I wouldn't be able to cope with 116, let alone one. So <laughs> I just think you're absolute power trooper. But, but how how do you cope with that? I know it's something you just have to do, isn't it? You just have to kind of have these things done. Um, but yeah, what, how do you kind of get through that? It's funny, isn't it? Because when I go in now, it sounds like, oh God, here she is again now. <laughs> She's another one in the in ambulatory care at the QE. Um, yeah, they sort of know me and see me coming. I think building a good relationship with your team is so, so important. A lot of my routine procedures and operations are done here at the, the Queen Elizabeth in Birmingham under the same urology team. Right. And I pin a lot of my... Um, that security is really on on them because I I I do feel um like we've got a great working relationship mm-hmm. and I get very nervous if I if I know it's going to be another team operating on me because I'm like oh no I want my I trust guy. them like, yeah they know yeah, me they know me they yeah they know oh god they've seen my bladder a hundred and one times they know exactly what everything looks like and should look like and shouldn't look like yeah. what's right for me what isn't right for me um so. Yeah, I think building a really good relationship with your team helps you to cope with when you've got a surgery coming because you know you're going to be under that team and, you know, you've got them to sort of bounce your worries mm-hmm. off of on the day. Um, and I think almost just getting into sort of a really good routine of I do a bit of meditation before I go into to theatre. I will bring some things uh, to distract me post, uh, sorry, pre-operation. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a film I want to watch on the laptop. It might be a book I want to read doing a little bit of journaling, mm-hmm. setting some intentions and goals for the day. Um, even, even if they're tiny, it might be your goal for the day is just to to be able to um, eat a piece of toast after after your operation. Yeah. That's a great little goal, a little milestone that you might want to achieve when you've you know come out of theatre. I think all those little things make you feel like you've had a successful day, even if it's been quite nerve-wracking mm-hmm. and scary. So getting into a good sort of uh, mindset and mental routine before I go into theatre, it has been, um, you know, real, really life-changing for me because I never was, I, I never um, probably gave enough credit to how much my physical health affected my mental health yeah. as a teenager. And in my 20s, I sort of have explored so much stuff to do with, you know, mindfulness mm-hmm. and getting myself into a really good space, you know, ready for, for hospital. So, yeah, so I'd say that's a really big one is get your mind focused I'm ready for what for what's to come on on theatre day really. Mm-hmm. And you've spoken about having to make some quite difficult decisions. Do you want to talk about what sort of things you've had to make, like the decisions? Um, yeah, that have been quite life changing for you. Yeah. So um, we're now at the point where I am ha- producing quite a lot of sediment and stone in my bladder, and they're right. not too sure why. So uh, my doctor at the QE, Doctor Viney, I just smile for me to hear when I talk about it because <laughs> he changed so much for me I was under a different consultant prior um 
and my move to Dr Viney was just monumental in my my journey really he's been phenomenal he sees me for who I am and he doesn't just treat me like any any other patient he's I think he sees every patient for who they are individually um you know doesn't push me to do things that I, that I don't feel ready for explains everything so well um really understands how much this has affected my whole life mm -hmm. you know I only see him for 10-15 minutes at a time when we have a consultation I only see him pre or post theatre for five minutes at a time and he's a busy man but he still takes the time to really think right you know how how does this affect Eva in her everyday life yeah, and how yeah. can I help with this and and that is so, so important to see the patient as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so him, he has helped me to navigate my, my new situation of passing stones and sediment and get to a point where I am getting a little bit more comfortable with the fact that I know I'm going to have to have this urostomy because they've taken my case to some really big um, urological conferences and mm -hmm. meetings to try and get to the bottom of why my bladder is producing these stones and sediment it's like sand that I sort of pass really? yeah and yeah. this has only started happening since last October so this is a brand new thing that we're now facing in my journey um but it blocks my catheter I end up in A&E because my catheter's blocked I can't pass urine it's refluxed into my kidney I've ended up with really severe kidney problems because of because of my bladder so a really big secondary to my bladder condition has been kidney problems um you know I'm passing stones and sediment vaginally because it's trying to work its way out yeah. of its body these huge hard formed stones and it's really traumatic when you pass them at home and you're bleeding quite a lot and it's just not pleasant at all yeah. and um and yeah I think we've, we've hit the point now where my bladder is made out of part bowel they don't quite understand why I'm producing this stone sediment sand and they sort of said you know I'm gonna have to remove your bladder at some point um We've had to think about fertility to do with that because of the way bladders and wombs sort of lie. Mm -hmm. um, we've had to big conversations surrounding that. So, yeah, so that's sort of been a real acute thing for me since last October. And this year, um, you know, having to have way more frequent catheter changes, um, which are very painful on your site as well. Your site can become quite, you know... Um, sort of bleed you know bleedy but but yeah. sore yeah. as well so sore um so yeah so we're having to make these really big decisions now which I, I sort of didn't think I'd be here I thought I would manage with my super pubic catheter because we were in a great routine for the last couple of years prior to that so I thought I would manage with that until my late 30s really mm. um yeah and I thought I'd avoid the route we're gonna have to go down but we move, we're here, and we've got to just process, haven't we? And, and I couldn't do that without the team that I've got. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, very blessed and very grateful for the NHS, really. And you've mentioned a urostomy. Do you want to explain to people, because like myself, I don't really understand what that means, so can you explain yeah. what, what that procedure is? People seem to um, know more about bowel than they do bladder, actually. And yeah. a urostomy is very similar to um, people that have, a, you know, a bowel bag, that have yeah. a, um, a colonoscopy. Yeah, Colost is it colostomy? There you go, you colostomy. Yeah, urostomy <laughs> and colostomy. So to those that have an ileostomy or a colostomy for bowel, right? It's a very similar thing, but just for bladder. So it's a stoma hole. It's sort of um, 
skin, um, bladder skin, if you like, that's been turned outwards on your abdomen. So it's got a fresh blood supply to it and your wee comes out of that hole into an external bag right. and the bag is stuck to your flush to your skin. Um, whereas now my bag comes at the end of my catheter. So the catheter is like an external mm -hmm. device that hangs and, you know, is there and you can put the bag to the end of that. But I still have my neobladder in situ. Um, whereas when I have my urostomy, there will be no bladder right. inside me right. at all. There'll be no you know, vessel to hold we, it will be external uh, via the bag that will stick to the stoma. Mm -hmm. And have they kind of said when you'll need that operation? Because I can imagine that's a huge operation and kind of how, how does that make you feel the thought of that happening? Yeah. Yeah, so I've I've got a cons um, my consultant, Dr Viney's, um put me sort of through for a, a consultation with a different consultant as well for sort of other opinions and he's a little bit more specialised in bladder augmentation. Um, so I guess once I've seen him, I'm on the waiting list to see him, we'll talk about sort of when um, it will be, because at the moment, because of the amount of stone and sediment that I'm producing and sand, it blocks my catheters so quickly. Yeah. I pass stones all the time. My life at the minute is just hospital, really, because of all of the complications mm -hmm. that I am um, dealing with because of the stone and sediment. So I guess it's how long I can cope with the stone sediment yeah. sand situation before or how long my body can cope before it just says absolutely we've had enough urostomy is the only way now you know mm -hmm. and that was kind of my next question for you how does it affect your day-to-day -day life I know you've mentioned that you're a teacher and yeah what was that like being in a school and working when you've got an illness like this my mind is just blown by everything you have to go through it's just it's mad it yeah how, how has it been having to have a full-time job when you're going through something like this it's, yeah it is crazy really and um, I think do you know I remember when I was first diagnosed and um, they sort of said oh you know you probably won't work full-time and you won't be able to do like any major travelling because you'll need to be near a hospital quite often. You're going to have to do blood flushes throughout the day. So that's going to take up quite, you know, uh, sort of 15, 20 minute segments of your day. So you'll need a job that accommodates well to that. Um, when I went to study to be a teacher, I was sort of told, you can't teach with that. I had a couple of lecturers who were, honestly, that was one so lady nice. genuinely said that to me. And I... I'm quite stubborn and these things ruffled my feathers and I was yeah, like right if someone's telling me I can't do that I am going to do it and tenfold watch me so I traveled Asia when I was 21 22 I went away for five and a half months I um had very good health insurance while away and ended up having um some procedures and catheter changes done in Vietnam in uh Cambodia in Thailand I managed, I mean, it was difficult, but I managed to do all my flushes while I was away there. Um, during the day, I have to use 50 ml syringes, saline solution, and an acid solution to try and break down any sediment and stone. Um, I do them at home during the night. I managed to do that, as I said, when I travelled. Mm -hmm. I managed to take them abroad on holidays and do those while I'm away. Um, and a lot of people, I think, you know, might shy away from from doing those things like traveling or or working because they're they're frightened of what others might think or you almost become a little bit scared to leave your own security yeah. blanket of your home and your bathroom especially with it being bladder we use the bathroom quite often and yeah I can totally see how that can be so daunting and frightening but for me breaking down those boundaries has been 
you know, the, the, for me, the fear of me not being able to do yeah, those things yeah. was far greater. Um, and yeah, I just, I had a real, you know, itch to scratch with regards to, to proving people wrong. Mm-hmm. So with, with working, I have managed until now working full time, God knows how. Um, I take my 50 ml syringe, my saline solution to the toilet when kids are on, on break and uh, flush my bladder through. It's difficult because with teaching, it is such a full on job. Um, those are my 30 babies in that classroom and I love them so, so, so much and I want to do everything I can for them. I'm up until God knows what time marking books. So managing all of that, I mean, I've brought suitcases of books into the QE, <laughs> sat on the ward, marking books because I know I have to get those done yeah. for those kids and it's, it, that's my priority, you know? So it's not for the faint-hearted, but, but I have managed until now to, to juggle chronic health and working full-time as a teacher. Um, I think that that might change going forward because the intervention that I have to have now is so much more... I'm up during the night every two hours doing acid flushes to try and break down the stone yeah, sediment yeah. problem we have. Um, I'm in hospital, you know, a good proportion of my week now is spent at the QE, whereas before that wasn't the way. I was only in every couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, so I think now that there might be some more changes to come for my everyday working life. Mm-hmm. But I have to say... My boss has been phenomenal. My head teacher that, that I'm at the school I'm currently at has been amazing. I think because I'm so open about it, everyone I work with has been so unbelievably supportive. And it's educating them as well. When, when someone has a yeah. hidden illness, the fact that your colleagues will probably now be a lot more educated yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And it's nice to know that they're supportive. Definitely. And especially if, like, I have got quite bad bladder spasm because the catheter can make my bladder sort of go a bit a bit AWOL and crazy sometimes. And if I need to get to the bathroom quickly or if I've had a leak, mm. because they all know about it, someone's on standby to run into my classroom for me. My classroom is currently right by the toilet, so that's great. Um, and having a teaching assistant sort of around um, my corridor, if not in my classroom, is great because then I can say, I've just got a new parent you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think just being really open with your employer is really important as well. And just sort of say, look, when I'm good, I'm great. I just need you to support me with X, Y, Z. And then I can do my utmost to, to you know, fulfil my role in my mm-hmm. job, no matter what your job is. So that would be a bit of advice to anyone listening to be really, really open with your, um, your employer and honest. Yeah. And... I'm shocked about your lecturer's comments. Oh about, my gosh, I know. About it. That's mad. Did you find any stigma when you were trying to search for a teaching job? Like when you went for interviews, did you find anything? Or was this kind of the first teaching job you interviewed for and got it and they were fine and supportive? Because again, is that, a, is that a hard conversation to bring up in an interview, by the way? This is what I have. Do you feel like it's held against you? And like, what's your advice for others when you are interviewing? Yeah, oh, that's a good question, actually. Um, no, so this is the second um, full-time teaching post I've had. Um, it's my second school I, I, I've been at. But the lecturer, just going back to her, oh, my gosh, um, yeah. Do you know what was mad? She'd just given a lecture a couple of weeks before about inclusivity. So it's always the way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, including all children, no matter what. And then it was, oh, you can't teach with this. We're not putting you on placement because um, I had a placement due. But I also had a surgery due during that placement. But the school I was going to were more than happy to accommodate for mm-hmm. the couple of days that I wouldn't be there. Do you know, they were so fine with that. It was this one particular lecturer who was kind of saying, do you know what, you, you can't with that. And I think 
from there on in then I just thought right I'm like a, I'll, you know I just wanted to sort of plow through and prove prove her wrong really um and I did I got my degree I graduated six months later than my cohort because I had to make up a little bit of time lost for, for operations and things which was fine and but, but we, we got there and I walked across the stage and you know got my certificate and threw my hat up with all my um all my peers so that was the best feeling in the world really and I wrote a lot of my dissertation in hospital mm. um but I just want to say although she gave me She's one of the only people that's actually ever given me such a negative comment, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, so that isn't a common thing that I, I often experience. Most people are brilliant. And when I was studying at college before university, I had this um, college tutor. Oh, my gosh, Keith Rathbone. He was amazing. He's actually passed away now. He was absolutely phenomenal. I He would Zoom my college lectures kind of thing, my mm. college, um, do you know... Uh, what lessons yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he would um zoom me in hospital so I wouldn't miss them so and nice. he oh my gosh to get an extension with him was like never a problem like you know I just have to show him my hospital admission letter and he'd be like Aoife in, in the end he'd be like don't even bother showing me them I know you know what you're going through I can see it um you come in here with you in pain some days I can see what's going on he was phenomenal he was so supportive so to anyone listening please don't think they're all going to be like um Demon Deborah, as I nicknamed her <laughs> at the time. Most most of the people have been absolutely brilliant. And like you, you touched on there with, with interviewing, um, most interviews have gone brilliant, even when I've, I've sort of said about having a long-term health condition that might require some hospital stays yeah. at times. I have said it as a tag-on at the end of my interview. I would never introduce with that. I would sort of, you know, upsell myself throughout the interview first and show them all I can do. Yeah. And then I might just sort of, you know, say that as a little, um, you know, footnote at the end that, you know, I suffer with a bladder condition. So there just might be a few things I, I might need from you for, for my, you know, everyday working life, if, if that's okay for us to have that discussion. Mm-hmm. And I would just sort of be open with them at the end. Um, since I've started the blog, I've been very open with my employer about that as well. And I think that that's helped people I work with and my employer to see what I go through every day because that's a great way. It's like a diary in effect, isn't yeah. it? So it's a great way for me to document what's going on and for them to understand because because it is invisible. When I go into work, face on, head, you know, done, work outfit on, in the classroom, you would never know. So for them to see via my blog what's going on mm-hmm. has actually been a great tool, yeah. I think, for them to, to help them to understand exactly how much of my life this affects definitely and speaking about like the embarrassing side to it how there's many patients I've spoke to that have like bowel cancer and things with a colostomy bag how have you managed to kind of deal with that when you are out in public and you've had a leak and yeah what is your advice to people that are new to it because I can imagine that it is really hard I obviously can't relate to you but I can imagine that you're scared someone's going to comment or yeah how how do you deal with it Oh gosh, that has been a real, um, like it's not been a linear journey, do you know, that's been a real highs and lows yeah, with that, sort of, of ups and downs with that, because it sort of depends where I am. If I'm out with friends, I'm not really too bothered. I'll yeah. always carry like spare leggings around with me or spare knickers or whatever like that, and you know, wet wipes and, and stuff, and my boot in my car's just got, you know, a whole new outfit for when I'm at work. Um, I will always wear black to work on my bottom half. Yeah. Always, whether it's black tights, black trousers, or, or a patterned colour, you know, or a, a patterned outfit, 
I would never wear like grey is the worst with, with we because it just shows up so much and I'd never wear anything that I knew if I had a leak it was you know gonna show yeah to work because I have had leaks in the classroom where I've just been stood there and been like oh one moment Miss Martin just needs to nip out and grab um, and then it's like in my shoes oh, before gosh. I know it's always their shoes in the car um I tend to sort of laugh it off where I can and try and shrug my shoulders you know with it almost just try and keep quite buoyant that is really difficult especially if it's around people that are new yeah um I've gotten a lot better at doing that as I've gotten older there's been times where I've gotten really down about leaks or really worried about going somewhere with leaks but the one thing I would say with a catheter it is great for a festival because you could go into any plastic cup no one would ever know I love it and love half it. of the girls are jealous of me with that when we're we're booking a you know a summer festival they're like oh we all want a catheter I'm like no you don't trust me but it is handy for like you know a little jungle wee on the side of the road if you're absolutely desperate so I just try and um, smile through the pain and sort of take the good with the bad, really, and just, um, yeah, laugh it off where you can. Bless you. Just a little bit of a disruption to, right. to the episode. Um, yeah, so we just start, started talking about social media. So you've got your Instagram, which is B is for bladder. B is for bladder. I want to say. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about, obviously, we know the reason that you set it up, but how like rewarding that has been or how great it's been for you to kind of meet like-minded individuals would you recommend it to someone else that's going through the same condition yeah absolutely um yeah bees for bladder gosh like you know as I said before I think that this was something I had you know in my mind many years before after sort of experiencing quite a lot of negativity on an online group and I wanted to set something up that that showed others that my disability um enables me not disables me do you know yeah okay my bladder doesn't work it doesn't function but that doesn't define me and look at all I can do and look as a community that all we can do you know as a bladder community Mm -hmm. um so I set that up just to give my pain purpose really and and I wanted to be what I needed when I was 16 yeah of course to somebody else because Quite often with bladder, it's you're on a ward with a lot of elderly women and they're wonderful and they're lovely and they're great. But as a 16, 17, 18 year old, that was not what I needed. I wanted someone to tell me I could still do all the things that I dreamed of for my life, do you know? Albeit do them in a slightly different way, mm-hmm. but that I could still achieve. Um, so yeah, so setting that up has been so rewarding because We've built up quite a large community now of um, of like-minded individuals, um, professionals and patients, you know, alike, um, with urological conditions um, that maybe use an ISC catheter, suprapubic catheter like me, a urethral catheter, have a Mitrofenoff um, augmentation surgery, so they catheterise through um, their, their belly button. Mm. Um, they might have a urostomy. They might have endometriosis with secondaries as a bladder condition. Um, bladder cancer so many different bladder failure of, of other varieties so yeah we've kind of just all all hopped on to, to my little platform bees for bladder and we're all here talking about it which is absolutely brilliant and we're changing the narrative of bladder we've got world continents week coming up at the uh, end of june actually next week we've just launched catheter confidence week which has been amazing mm-hmm. a great response back from that and Urology Awareness Month is in September. So to anyone listening, please do come and follow me on my journey, as I'll be doing lots in September as well. Um, and hopefully on the telly too, so that'll be absolutely brilliant. That's all really exciting. And 
did this kind of lead because you you also have a podcast don't you yeah do you, do you have do you present a radio show what's kind of your link there but did you get into that because of your instagram or did that come before instagram yeah because my instagram and i was approached by it was known as sully hall radio then it's now on your radio sully hall mm-hmm. um and i was approached by a uh a, 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 a man that that ran a show for sully hall radio in lockdown to talk about how um, people with chronic health conditions were navigating the NHS through um, a national pandemic. So I went on on to talk with him on his show, and he said, "Would you like to come present a show?" Which is and amazing. I, I know. How, how did you feel when that when that was said to you? I was like, like "Hell yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh!" I went, "Yeah!" I was over the moon because. Off the back of B is for Bladder, we now have C is for Chronically Fabulous, which is our radio show. Um, And yeah, it's just phenomenal. It's great. So I've sort of broadened it out there with the radio show because it's not just about bladder conditions. It's for anyone to come on and share their live truth, share their story with a chronic health condition, raise awareness um, for their particular condition, male or female, no matter what the condition is. Um, the more the merrier really we're taking a little break at the moment because of me being in and out of hospital but we're hoping to get going again with C's for chronically fabulous in the, the very near future so please do stay tuned for more episodes but all of the episodes I've currently done are on my blog page right www.beersofladder.com shameless plug there I'm, I'm going <laughs> to listen have you had a story on there when you've met someone else that's going through the same thing that's really stood out to you can you think of anyone off the top of your head where you've been like wow I'm just like in awe of you. I'm sure, like it's like with me, everyone I speak to, I can't have a favourite because everyone is so yeah. individual, and they're like that. Everyone's story is amazing. Um, but yeah, have you got a story where you're like, wow, that just blows my mind? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Actually, it's been an absolute pleasure to have every guest I've had on there talking about mm. their chronic illness um, and their, you know, lived truth and their and sharing what what they've been through. But I always love it when I get a male on talking about mental health. I've mm-hmm. had two on, um, or maybe three. Um, a guy came on talking about his OCD that he suffers with. I didn't realise. I felt so ignorant because I didn't realise how much this condition, this mental condition mm-hmm. of OCD, affects his everyday life. Mm-hmm. It was insane. And I just thought, God, there's not enough airtime given to to that condition in particular, OCD. But I'm so glad that now male mental health is being more spoken about. But yeah. to me, there's still not enough airtime given for it, you know. And I just felt like he was so brave to come on and speak about that. Um, women generally seem to be a lot more open, don't they, about their mental health than men. So that to me was just just amazing and I just I was in awe of him really the way he spoke so confidently and eloquently about what he was going through and what are you most proud of when you look back at everything that you've had to go through over the last few years what are you most proud of about yourself because I'm sure there's about 52,000 things because you've done amazing things despite having to go through these awful things you do daily but what are you most proud of about yourself Oh, it's so funny you say, I'm sure there's about 52,000 things. <laughs> Do you know what? There's not because, well, there is if I reflected properly, but I think we're our own worst critics, aren't oh, we? Of course. I've never done enough. I want to do more. Yeah. I want to do more. Oh, this isn't enough. This isn't, you know, and I've got a real, I've always got this itch to scratch. And um, 
yeah i'm always out to prove people wrong i think some of my biggest achievements that i am so proud of is that i managed to, to do a bit of traveling when i was younger despite everything is that i managed to to qualify as a teacher and you know see through my degree you know that to me was so huge at the time and still is a massive achievement the fact i've managed to work full-time until now i just i actually i'm really proud of that because i don't quite know how I've done that some days when I've been so sleep deprived from getting up flushing my bladder through or where I've been sat in A&E throughout the night unblocking a catheter and then because I don't want to let those kids down I've gone into school at the half past seven with two hours sleep and, and they, they have no idea they have no idea, no idea how no idea. amazing you are oh you're, yeah I can imagine you're the best sort of teacher because when you're going through something I just feel like You've got a different outlook on everything, and you, you know how to so support do. people and oh, recognize so those kids that struggle and stuff. So yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're your great teacher. Oh, thank um, you. But yeah, and, there's you know, so yeah. many things you can be so proud of. So many things, and then now the online community that we sort of set up, and obviously it's my my baby, B is for bladder and C is for chronically fabulous. But I've got two wonderful women now working alongside me, Corinne and Shannon, who have been fantastic in supporting me to to further my reach and to sort of um yeah keep sort of destigmatizing mm-hmm. all that that those that suffer with bladder health go through it's mad that bowel is spoken about way more yeah. um and obviously i've mentioned previous urology awareness month coming up in september but watch this space girl we're going to change things people are going to know mm-hmm. all about catheters all about urostomies not just col col colonoscopy Oh, col- oh, I forgot now. Colost- colostomies. I always go to say colposcopy, but that's a different <laughs> procedure altogether. There's too many oscopies, isn't there, in, in medical <laughs> jargon. Um, but yeah, people will know all things urostomy, mark my words, and all things bladder, all things catheter, because I'm on a mission now and I'm not stopping. Well, it's the only way is up. Exactly. And you, you <laughs> truly are incredible. I, I can't believe everything that you've had to go through. It, it's crazy. But yeah, everything you're doing is going to help people that are going through this yeah. and also yourself as well. So thank you. Was yeah. there anything else that you felt like you wanted to add? No, before? this has been such a lovely interview. You've been, I've kind of gone down memory lane. Like as you've been asking me questions, I've kind of had to look away at times because I've been almost going back to that yeah. place. Is it surreal to kind of look back and think, oh my God, I've actually gone through that. Like yeah. that's, that's my story, my body. Like Yeah, and I'm still here. I'm still fighting. I'm still standing, no matter what big decisions we're now facing going forward, and I know there's going to be some life changes now, and it's going to feel scary. But if I've gone through all I have so far, by God, I'm going to get through the next bit as well, do you know? Um, So, yeah, fingers crossed. um, And fingers crossed for everyone else out there that's sort of listening and and suffering in silence. Don't suffer in silence. Speak out. Come join the Vs of Bladder Tribe, especially if you've got a bladder condition. But even if you haven't, we're all about invisible illness. Together we're stronger. Um, and yeah, come join me on my journey and we're going to make a difference. You truly are incredible. Thank you so much thank you for talking so much. to me and for thank reaching you. out. I really, really appreciate it. I've loved it. Amazing. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. A huge thank you to Eva for sharing her story. I really hope it inspires someone else living with a hidden illness to speak out and be proud of who you are. Hidden illnesses are nothing to be ashamed and embarrassed about. And if you do have a story, please do get in touch. I would absolutely love to speak with you. And I'll be back same time next week for a brand new episode. See you then.